Hey, Into Picklers, week three of our podcast. Thanks for joining us. Uh, this is podcast is called Pickleball Therapy for a reason. We talk about some pickleball concepts and uh, give you some pickleball tips. But at the end of the day, it's really to give you a few minutes of just some pickleball talk that hopefully will help you uh, enjoy the game more and maybe become a better pickleball player. In this week's riff, I'm going to talk about lob coverage and how to cover lobs and some of the issues I see out there when uh, folks go back to cover lobs. But before we get into that, I want to talk a little bit about how you play pickleball that's right for you. Uh, you know, a lot of times uh, when we're out there, we're trying to play pickleball in a way, or we may be trying to play pickleball in a way that is right for somebody else, but may not be right the right way for to play for us, for our person. And so uh, what I want to talk a little bit about that uh, today, and I want to give you some specific examples of that. So stay tuned for the podcast. Are you repeating the same errors on court over and over again? Wouldn't it be nice if you could first recognize what was causing the repeated error, and second, fix it during the game. You can acquire the skill set. You can study videos and watch your friends as they play to develop your ability to see the game. Or you can join the Into Pickle Academy and we will teach you how. If you're interested, go to intopickle.com and click on clinics, or you can email Lori, L-A-U-R-I-E, at intopickle.com. Become the best player you can be. Last couple of weeks, we've been talking about how to improve as a player. So we gave you some specific tips on how to improve as a player and also some more conceptual things about how to think about improvement, uh, how to work on improvement. What I want to talk about this week is you as a pickleball player. In other words, uh, you know, how do you decide what it is that you as a pickleball player need to focus on uh, in order to you know, have the most fun and, and be the most effective pickleball player that you can be on the court? I think it's really important as a pickleball player to find your own identity on the court it's a mistake, in my opinion, to come out to the court and then try and be a player that you're not. In other words, you, you, you'll be out on the courts and you'll see, you know, player John or player Mary or player anybody. And you're going to then try and emulate their style of play. So you're going to say, well, so-and-so, you know, really hits the ball hard. So I want to hit the ball hard. Uh, and I'm not saying that hitting the ball hard isn't, uh, you know, isn't a goal that you should aspire to if it makes sense. But not because player so-and-so on the court is doing it it should be something that makes sense because it does in other words you look at your game you look at your what you're doing the strengths and weaknesses in your game and you figure out that that's something that maybe you need to add to your game as opposed to you know you're just watching some other player and saying well they do it therefore I'm going to do it uh, if you watch pro players uh, you know different players win with different uh, styles different techniques some players are very aggressive uh, driving every ball, attacking every ball. You can think of the mother-daughter, uh, the Waters, or the father-son, the Sobex. Uh, you know, they're very aggressive players. They just go out there and, 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 and hammer balls, uh, and they're successful doing it. Then you have other players that have more of a blend of aggression and non-aggression. Think of a player like a Glenn Peterson uh, or a player like Lisa Naumu on the women's side. You know, players who basically you know mix up some aggression and some non-aggression uh, in order to accomplish your objective. And so, you know, you can you can craft a game or you can or you can build a game around a, a style or a, an identity uh, that makes sense for you as a as a person and as a player. The reason I picked this topic is I, I had a question asked and I did a video this week about switching hands that, uh, you know, really brought it to the forefront. 
you know, the, switching hands is a good example of an area where, uh, you know, players, well-intentioned players will tell other players not to switch hands. They, they suggest not to switch hands to them because that's not proper technique or not the way it should be played. The game should be played. The reality is that the question whether to switch hands or not is a little more complex at that. Uh, the example I gave in the video was a, a player I met a few months back who was also a, she was a right-handed player in the sense that she played mostly with her right hand, but she was also a high-level uh, softball player, a really high-level softball player. And if you think about that game in softball, if she's right-handed, so if she throws right-handed, that means that she catches the ball with her left hand. That's where her glove is. So, you know, whether, so really her left hand is actually more, uh, more trained or it has more, more repetitions catching balls or receiving balls. So it's actually a better hand for some shots like dinks, uh, third shots and things like that, where you're basically trying to toss the ball or throw the ball. You're, you know, with, with, you have to catch it first. So you have to catch and throw it. Uh, so the left hand would actually be better for that. The right hand is probably better for smashes and hard shots like serves and things like that because that's the, the hand that she throws with. So it's going to have a little more strength and a little more accuracy on those types of shots. So, you know, it's a player like that. It doesn't make sense to set, tell a player like that, don't switch hands because she's perfectly capable of switching hands and it's not going to be detrimental to her game. Now, on the other hand, I can take a you know brand new player, someone who's never played any sport before in, in his or her life. I would not train that person or that player to switch hands that's not something that i would work into the game because there's so many other things to work on so it's not something that i would say hey let's learn how to switch hands uh but that doesn't mean that that's not right for the softball player um that's now playing pickleball so you know those that's an example of an area where uh, you know your 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 experience your physical conditioning all sorts of things can inflect how you play another example is for example like return to serve uh, you know, if you're 22 years old and, you know, can run Usain Bolt speed 100 meters, then you can return however you want because you're going to make it up to the non-volley zone line. But if you're 75 years old and say you have a, a, a bad knee, then, you know, hitting a hard return of serve is probably not the best strategy because hitting a hard return of serve will mean that you have less time to get up to the MVZ. And, you, you know, that'll detrimentally affect your game because you're not able to get up to the non-volley zone line and, and lock down the non-volley zone before the next next shot comes in. So that's an example of how physical, you know, your physical condition, your age uh, can influence the type of game you play uh, and how you have to, you know, you should try and modify the game you play to suit your your person. A couple other examples that come to mind are, you know, ready position is an area that, uh, that players focus on. They, you know, some players say you have to hold the paddle uh, Coach Mo style, so old school style, where you basically have the paddle like at nine o'clock or three o'clock, depending on whether you're left-handed or right-handed. But it's basically where you have the backhand uh, sitting in front of you, like parallel to your body, and that's one form of ready position. Another one is the Sarah Ansbury style, which is basically like a rifle. So you basically hold it at twelve o'clock, no matter whether you're right-handed or left-handed, and you use the the paddle as sort of like a rifle sight, and you can kind of move it with the ball. And then there's the 10 o'clock or 2 o'clock and now the newest one is the 11 o'clock or 1 o'clock and then the other question is whether you hold it up to your chest or down at your hip in my view of the game ready position is something that is whatever is comfortable for you uh, clearly there are you can make uh, arguments for certain uh, strategies or certain positions are, uh, better than others but you know spending a lot of time on that really doesn't make a lot of sense as long as your paddle isn't laying on your side you know laying down at your side uh, not ready at all 
that's a situation where, yeah, you probably want to put it in a ready position. But once you get into that ready position, which one of those you hold for most of us is not going to make a huge difference in our game, whether we hold it in position one or position, you know, 10 or, or whatever, uh, you know, whatever ready position you want to use is, is, is whichever is more comfortable for you. Another example is defending. Some players like to defend from the line. So they get up to the MVZ line and they basically def- defend it at all costs. That's an option that you can you can use, but it's something that that you know for other players like myself included, I like to back up a little bit. I like to take a step back. I like to have a little more time uh, recognizing my eye hand coordination is what it is. So I make an adjustment based on that and, and adjust my play based on my characteristics as a player. So I'm not trying to uh, become Dave Weinbach, for instance, who has really fast eye hand coordination uh, and can defend from the line you know, pretty successfully most of the time. Uh, you know, I don't try and emulate Dave Weinbach in my game. I play a game that makes more sense for my uh, style of play and also for my uh, characteristics as a player. Did your cousin call you and say, teach me pickleball? You can do that. Or you can get him a copy of Play Pickleball, The Beginner's Guide. It's the most complete guide on how to play pickleball. It includes how to hit the ball, the rules of the game, scoring, and even some strategy. You can find it at intopickle.com or on Amazon. None of this is to suggest that you shouldn't work on your game. In other words, if you have a an area that that you think you need to add to your game uh, because you you know it makes sense as a player, then certainly I would recommend adding that to your game. In other words, uh, you know, bringing it into your game and and you know uh, uh, working on it. So, for instance, say that you, uh, you you your third shot isn't so good, but you're a driver, right? You know how to drive the ball because you came from tennis or something. Or you have a racquetball backhand or something like that. And you want to learn how, you know, you, you don't really have a third shot drop or a neutralizing shot like that. Obviously, it would make sense from a pickleball standpoint uh, to to learn that stroke or to learn that mechanic of that stroke and work on it to improve your game. So in that case, you know, just because you don't have a third shot drop doesn't mean you shouldn't learn one. What I'm suggesting is don't force things or, or strokes or techniques into your game that aren't necessarily required or, or important to the game uh, and that don't meld well with your style of play or your personality. One of the beautiful aspects of this game is that it can be played different ways and, and effectively played different ways. So you can play a, a more soft game uh, and be very effective. Uh, you know, you can play a lob soft game, you know, counterpunch sort of game. You can play an aggressive game. So you have different styles that, that get out on the court. Uh, you know, it would be kind of a, a boring game if we were just a bunch of robots getting out on the court and everybody executing the exact same uh, approach to the game. Then, you know, it wouldn't be any fun. This game is so varied and, and it has so many different strategies you can bring to bear. The key is to find the strategy that makes sense for you and your personality and your style of play. One clarification before we leave the subject. There are some areas in pickleball where I think it makes sense to uh, abide by certain uh, tried and true rules. For example, when you return serve, getting up to the non-volley zone line. Uh, there really isn't a strategic uh, world that, that, or a world in which I think strategically you could say that staying back at the baseline after you return serve is the optimal strategy. So that's an example of an area where you'd want to say, okay, I'm going to do, I'm going to strive to accomplish this objective. Uh, but again, how you how you accomplish that objective, that's dependent on your skill set and also how, you know, again, your physical characteristics and how you want to play the game. So, for example, say you're stacked uh, and, and you know, you're not you're not super fast. 
uh, and you have to get across, then yeah, you want to hit a higher, deeper return. So you have more time to get up to the non-volley zone line and lock it down. Whereas if you're, you know, maybe young and come from tennis and you want to do a, a spin hard, you know, return in the corner and you can still make it up to the non-volley zone line, that's fine. The objective of getting up to the non-volley zone line remains the same for both players. How they get to that non-volley zone line is what's different. Understanding that there are some strategic fundamentals that will create optimal pickleball play and working within the constraints of those strategic considerations, find the approach to the game that makes the most sense for you and try and develop that as you become the best pickleball player that you can be. If you're interested in lob coverage and my thoughts on lob coverage and the proper movement for lob coverage, stay tuned for my riff. Did you know that there's a shoe designed specifically for pickleball? Well, there is. We are proud to partner with Tyrol Shoes, the designer of shoes specifically made for pickleball. You can find them at our site, intopickle.com, Tyrol Pickleball Shoes, the shoes I wear on court. A student recently related a story to me about a, a friend of uh, hers who had been playing at the courts uh, where they uh, play at who had fallen back while heading back to cover a lob or moving backwards towards a lob or to cover a lob, uh, had fallen back and I think uh, broken the wrist or damaged the wrist and actually hit her head too on the court. And so that reminded me of something that I've been uh, meaning to work on for a little bit, which is, um, you know, not just talk about the, the proper way of covering a lob, but also uh, talk about a potential rule that I think should be adopted uh, because of the danger involved in that type of motion and, and the frequency with which it occurs out there. So first, you know, whenever you get a lob going over your head, uh, you should never back up. I'm actually guilty of that. Uh, you know, you get in the moment and you, and you start backing up. So you're basically, your, your body remains uh, parallel to the net. So you, you don't turn and you just back up one foot, one foot, one foot. And then what happens is if, if you happen to catch it, catch your heel or just whatever, just, just, you know, stumble a little bit, uh, there's really no way to stop that fall other than putting your hands behind you. Uh, which is going to cause significant, uh, uh, could cause significant damage to your arm, elbow, wrist, shoulder, whatever. Uh, and also, if you, if you don't do that or you don't do it successfully, then you can roll back and smack your head. And so it's, it's a really dangerous uh, way of doing it. The, the right way of doing it is either turning and pivoting like, a, like an overhead in tennis. So basically where you take your, if you're right-handed, you would take your right leg. If you're left-handed, you take your left leg. And you basically pivot that or you take that leg back and pivoting on the other leg. So if I'm left-handed, I would pivot on my right leg take my left leg back. If I'm right-handed, I'd pivot on my left leg or left foot, I'm sorry, and then take my right leg back uh, and then basically track it that way. And that way I'm sideways and, and, you know, so I'm basically 90 degrees to the net, my body is, and I can track the ball better and I, and it, it's less risk of falling that way. And if I do fall, I can always turn and then catch myself falling forward instead of backwards, which is a lot safer. The other way to cover a lob is if you need to, is to turn all the way around and go get it. The last option is, you know, is always available, which is just to congratulate the other team on a nice shot and, and move on to the next, uh, next rally. Um, that said, I, you know, I'm going to suggest, and I, and I'd, I'd like to hear your feedback on this. If, if you, you know, see what you think about it, send me an email, Tony at into pickle.com, or you, I think you can comment in the, in the podcast. Um, you know, the, the rule I'm going to suggest is that we adopt a rule as a sport that basically makes the uh, backward movement without turning a fault. So basically, if the player takes, uh, it's either going to be two steps or three steps, I got to figure that out, but backwards. So um, then the other team just calls fault, just like stepping in the NVZ. Uh, you just call a fault. Uh, the point is over, the rally is over, and then you move on. 
Um, it has obviously, you know, a response is going to be, well, what about potential for abuse? Yeah, that could happen. I mean, that that's a possibility just like anything else in pickleball, outball and things like that. Um, but I think that when you look at the risk that's associated with uh, the move that happens or the backwards move that, that the risk that's associated with that, I think it's fair to balance that against the uh, potential loss of a rally or, a, or even a point, I guess, if it's a, if it's the a point, a scoring point opportunity uh, or point scoring opportunity. Um, you know, when you balance those two things, I think it makes sense to implement this kind of a rule because, you know, you, we need to have a system that, that dissuades people from moving backwards in the improper way. And the only way that I can come up with is, uh, is to basically, you know, call it a fault. And then that'll make people more conscientious of that. So anyway, let me know your thoughts on it. Uh, you know, there's another way to deal with it. That's awesome. Uh, I just think it's something that we need to address. Thanks for listening this week. Uh, let us know what you think. If you like the podcast, uh, please rate us. It helps us uh, reach other listeners uh, in, on the platform. Also, please share our podcast if you think it's uh, it's worthwhile. Uh, share it with your friends and family, whoever plays pickleball and needs a little pickleball therapy. Stay safe out there.